0: get into uh, what we're calling the title of today's sermon is judgment the guarantee of prophecy now you know we've been speaking of prophecy Uh, we've in the midst of this series on it and I know you know like I say a lot of folks uh, may be a little bit leery of just how Significant is prophecy in today's time. Isn't prophecy something uh, that uh, you know that uh, only counts for the past? And you know that was something that they had in the Old Testament that told about the life of Jesus. But what we're seeing, what we're finding out, is that prophecy is still being fulfilled even today. That there are still many prophetic events within scriptures that are yet to be fulfilled and as so shouldn't you and I as students of scripture also be students of prophecy and that's where this lesson is coming from and the fact that you and I will stand in judgment one day now we've we've talked about this a lot so uh, I was a little bit leery of, you know, the title sounds dark and gloomy. I mean, it sounds like, you know, judgment, you know, the guarantee of prophecy, you know, impending doom. But that's not what it's intended to be. It's intended to show us as believers in God's word where you and I stand and how we can use this to better promote, better witness of the coming kingdom. And Jesus tells us of this very same thing. Jesus showed us that. In fact, I would say that our knowledge and our understanding of prophecy will directly affect our standing in the coming kingdom. You see, how we use this knowledge of prophecy directly affects us. That's what we mean by the guarantee. The guarantee of prophecy is that one day we'll have to give an account. One day we'll stand before Jesus Christ. Yes, many people call that judgment. You know, we we understand the beam of judgment where you and I as believers will be at will be a good day. Because at that judgment, we are all saved. We are saved. We are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. We're not saved by the works that we do. But then at that judgment, we'll be judged on what we do with what we have. Remember, we talked about that. We'll be judged for our accountability. And you see, when we look at prophecy... Uh, we're going to see that, uh, man, <laughs> there's, there's not many more things that a person can be given that is higher in stature than prophetic knowledge. And to show you this, let's look at what Jesus says. Jesus told uh, the disciples, he was over here in the midst, uh, Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, let's begin in verse 41. And we're going to see How that uh, Jesus, in the midst of... Well, it, when he was over there, he was talking to the crowd. Then he would turn and talk to the disciples. And then he would talk to the crowd. And then he would talk to the disciples. That's where this verse 41 comes in. That's where we see that. Because Jesus had just got gotten through telling them about uh, uh, this coming judgment that uh, the, the servant, the master had went away and you know, the servant had come back and, and the good man of the house, you know, if the good man of the house had known that the, the thief was coming, he would have secured the house. And you know, Jesus has been telling them all that. And then Peter asked him here in verse 41. He says, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us or even to all? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household, to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth, I say unto you, that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But, and if that servant say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men servants and maidens, and to eat and drink and to be drunken. The Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant which knew his Lord's will, and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that kneweth, knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be much required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. So you see, Jesus, in relating this account to the disciples, tells them of this parable that the one that has been given much, in other words, the servant left in charge when the master went away. He left his estate in the charge of his servant with the understanding that he would return one day and that when the master returns, the master expects to find his estate in the same or better shape than when he left it. He don't want to come and find it in disarray. He don't want to come and find it in shambles. And you see, Jesus is relating this parable to those that are around him, his disciples, to the believers around him, those that are in the crowd, those that believe on Jesus Christ. Jesus talked to believers for pretty much the majority of the time. When he was relating these kind of accounts, he was talking to believers. This is who he's talking to today. He's talking to believers. The master has went away. The master has gone to prepare a better place. But he's coming back. But you see, when he's coming back, he's expecting what? To find the faith, the scripture calls it. He's expecting to find his estate in as good or better shape than when he left it. Well, what has that got to do with prophecy, Joy? Well, I'll tell you because this presents to us this this knowledge of who who you and I as God's people, this presents to us a couple of questions that we're going to need to answer. A couple of things that we're no need to going to be aware of. The first one, how much more could be given to someone than to know the end of all things. The end from the beginning. Think about it. Think about this. You have knowledge of how it's going to end. You have knowledge of what will be the events of what people call the end of times, the end days, the last times, whatever it is they call it. Look around us even today that things are happening. Prophetic events are happening even in today's time. If they're not happening now, the table is being set for them to happen in the future. And you see, through the study of God's Word, you and I are able to discern these things. And if we do know them, then we're responsible. We're responsible. It has direct implications on our faith. Another question that we need to ask ourselves, another question that you and I should be aware of what manner of Christian? ought we to be knowing these things? What kind of person should I be knowing these things? Knowing that Christ has appeared unto all mankind to seek and to save that which was lost. And that of assurance of the prophetic events in his words, I know these things better than I know that I'm standing here right now. These things are assured to me because I can look at evidence within Scripture that tells me God declared the end from the beginning. And He did it back at the beginning. Not like a man having to walk around to the end and see how it ends and then He can declare the end. No, God started at the beginning and declared the end. And then He, through the Holy Spirit, transcribe that for you and I so that when we pick this word up, this theonoustos, God-breathed word, when we pick this word up, we are able to know that God has spoken to us. Mm. What manner of Christian ought we to be knowing these things? Guess what, guys? Peter asked the same question. Peter made the same statement over 2 Peter chapter 3 and verses 10 and 11. He said this, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what? manner of person ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness. You see, Peter threw about a thousand years worth of theology into that verse 10 there. You see, Peter was looking at the coming of the Lord. He understood how things were going to end. Peter had been shown, Peter knew how this was going to wind up that the day of the Lord would appear. He knew that was coming. He knew that the heavens were going to pass away and melt with fervent heat. Thereafter the millennial kingdom is through, after the great white throne judgment, when all the evil dead, those that are unsaved are raised to stand before uh, the judgment throne of God and are receive their just punishment, after that day is done, Then what Peter talked about, the earth, the elements shall be melted with fervent heat. In other words, they shall be cleansed with fire. Cleansed with fire. And then that great verse over there, Revelations 21, 5. One of my most favorite verses in all of Scripture. Jesus Christ steps up and says, Behold, I am making all things new. Woo. do you know how good do you know how good that makes a sinner boy like me feel do you know how good that makes me to feel to know that as sorry as low down as as unworthy of salvation as I am that one day my Savior is going to make all things new and guess what guys this time this time We'll be sitting on the front row when he does it. We'll be eyewitnesses to the fact. We'll be watching as Jesus Christ makes all things new. And I know this. And I know this. So what kind of person ought I to be? Man, I need to be on the front lines. I need to be I need to be witnessing. I need to be studying. I need to be doing everything in the world that I can to rescue the lost and the dying. Just like Greg or Nick back there. When the emergency comes, when disaster happens, when accidents strike, they, they When they get the call, uh, they don't say, well, uh, you know, I've got a two o'clock right now. I have to get back with you a little bit later on. No, they turn on the siren and they answer the call. They go out and they meet disaster wherever it is. They go into the operating room and they meet that tragedy wherever it is. They don't waste any time. They go out and they rescue. That's who we're called to be. We're called to go out. And to rescue. Peter said what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness. Did you know Paul talks about prophecy in the church? He gives us direction in the church. I like old Paul. He wrote this letter to the church at Corinth. Though Y'all know about the Corinthian church? They were Baptist too by the way. Okay, They were a mess. Uh, and uh, he wrote them a little letter over there, and he said this about prophecy. He in and, and after the thirteenth chapter of First Corinthians, and you'll you, you hear, you know. Let me let me just insert this little uh, little bit in there. You'll hear the thirteenth chapter of Corinthians uh, at Connor and Anjali's wedding Saturday. Uh, You'll hear that because it speaks so much about love. And, you know, love is this, love is that. But, you know, what we need to understand is we always read that at weddings, and and it is fitting. It is fitting that we do. But we need to understand Paul, when he writes that, is talking about gifts within the church. He's talking about the use of gifts. He's talking about uh, people in the church understanding what their gift is. And when he gets to that, He talks about these different things. He talks about tongues. He talks about prophecies. Uh, He talks about uh, being a preacher, being a teacher. Uh, But when he gets to chapter 14 over here, notice what he says in verse 4 about tongues and about prophecy. In verse 4, 1 Corinthians 14, 4, he said, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. But he that prophesieth edifieth the church. The church. Think about that. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. To edify means to feed, to grow, to make manifest, to make clear. To edify. So the one that speaks in an unknown tongue, Paul says, well, he's edifying himself. Why is that? Because if I'm speaking in an unknown tongue, who knows what I'm saying? Scripturally, if I'm speaking in an unknown tongue, I'm supposed to have an interpreter. If there's not an interpreter, you are to keep quiet. But if I'm prophesying, if we're dealing with prophecy, what does Paul say? That don't just edify the person, that edifies the church which tells me that prophecy is what one of the components that we're using for correct discipleship within the church. Paul went on to say in verse 22 of that same chapter, Wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. Yeah. So, why is it important that we know prophecy? Why is it important that we understand prophetic events within the Word of God? Because this is one of the tools that we're using to build up the church. The church of today, the church of tomorrow, the church of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is one of the things that we use to edify the church for it to grow to edify. You see, when Paul talks of edifying the church, he's talking about discipleship. Discipleship. And you see, this is one of the things that, that uh, one of the greatest things that, that has come through studying of the Word, through digging into Scriptures. You know, years ago in my youth, I thought, I thought that, Lord, have mercy. You know, when you get saved, you're supposed to grab your Bible. You're supposed to go out and to hit the street corners. You're supposed to scream and holler and, and and just scream out to the world and just drag them in if you have to. But the more you read and study in Scripture, the more you understand that what Christ is talking about is discipling those around you. That's what He's talking about. He's not talking about going out and building the world's biggest church or starting some worldwide global ministry. No, he's talking about discipling those that are around you. When you disciple those that are around you, guess what? They begin to disciple those that are around them. This can be just a few people. And, you know, most people would say, well, you know, if my life just affects a few people, I've not really done that. Oh, no, no, no. No, no, no. You're looking at things the way man looks at them. You've got to look at the way God looks at them. And you see, prophecy is one of those things that edifies the church. It is beneficial to us in witnessing now. Don't get me wrong. It is beneficial in witnessing. But ultimately now, Ultimately, you, will only, you, you won't convince somebody to be saved through using prophecy, through showing them prophetic events. The, the natural man does not understand this. Can't comprehend it. It's words on pages and paper to them. They don't understand the spiritual significance. And the spiritual significance of understanding prophecy only comes from somebody that already knows Jesus Christ. You're not going to go out and, you know, I'm not going to get on the radio and say, look, we've figured out this prophecy. Uh, This is the day when it's fulfilled. You need to get saved. (laughs) It won't work. It won't work. They will only come by faith. By faith in believing in Jesus Christ. And you see, when you come in faith, when you believe in Jesus Christ, that's when you can really start to build with prophecy. That's when the blessings really come. Let's look. You know I like to throw in prophecies, okay? I I do that every now and then. So let's look at one and a couple. Well, let's just look at a couple. We'll think back to uh, the one we talked about last week. And let's look at their usefulness with respect to lostness and then to discipleship. Okay? Just take a few minutes to do that. Remember last week we talked about uh, the prophecy covered in Ezekiel four and Daniel. Uh, Daniel and Ezekiel both made this prophecy, and this prophecy concerned the return—the the return again of the nation of Israel. Remember, they were in the Babylonian captivity, and after Cyrus came in and uh, took over uh, uh, Babylon, he what declared. He declared, gave the decree, gave the edict edict that Israel was once again a nation. And they went back home. But they didn't repent. So what? They went into exile again. That happened after Christ. They went off into exile again. But the prophecies told us when they would come back. We talked about that last week. That the return, the second return of Israel was on uh, prophesied in Ezekiel and Daniel to be on the day of May the 14th, 1948. And we talked about that. We know what happened. That's the exact day that the United Nations decreed, declared, that Israel was once again a nation. Can a nation be born in a day? You better believe it It was. And there is a companion prophecy to that that we're going to look at today in Daniel chapter 5. And the reason I want to do this the reason I want to use this one is because, like I said earlier, a lot of times we, we tend to think of prophecy as ancient stuff, back in the day. And, and I want us to see how relevant it is to all of us today. This prophecy comes from Daniel chapter 5, one that you all know well. Uh, what is known through people that study these types of things is an inscription prophecy, and it has a double meaning. It's the account of the handwriting on the wall. You all remember that, don't you? It's in Daniel chapter five, and verses twenty-five through twenty-eight. Now we're just covering what was said right there. We're not. We don't have time to get in all the details. We can, you know, talk about that later if you need to uh, talk about it more. If you need to get notes, whatever it is. But we're just covering the basics here. And Daniel five twenty-five through twenty-eight, it says this, and this is the writing. This is Belshazzar having his drunken party there, using. The temple vessels, Uh he went and got the temple vessels that they had got from uh, Jerusalem, and they were drinking out of them, doing all kinds of foolishness. And then when he looks up, he sees these fingers coming out and start writing on the wall. It says, and this is the writing that was written, This is the interpretation of the thing. This is Daniel interpreting. Many, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tikal, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Perish, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Now we see here, when Daniel translates, notice what he, what he does. The writing was what? Mini, Mini tikal, Ufarsan. But when Daniel interprets, what does he do? Mini tikal, ufarsin. What they call that inscription prophecy is called a quad word prophecy. In other words, what that prophecy means is when a word is repeated, all right, you just use it one time for the for the interpretation that applies to then, which is what Daniel was talking about. Meaning titu. But there's another meaning. That means it has application later on. Okay? So Look at the meaning of those words. Mini means numbered. That's the, that's the interpretation for that. Mini means numbered. Tickle means weighed. This is the interpretation of Daniel. Uh, Farson means divided. Ufarsin, let's, let's go ahead and clarify that. Ufarsin, Farson. that word there that is used is a Hebrew word you know, won't get into syntax or anything like that, but the U on that word, farson, was the Hebrew way of saying and peres. So it would be mini, mini, tekel, and peres. So Ufarsin is the Hebrew way of saying and peres. So translated as verbs, that's exactly, they mean exactly what Daniel said. Numbered, weighed, divided. And he pronounced judgment on it. This is what's going to happen, Belshazzar. This is what you get uh, when you throw a drunken party with God's dedicated instruments. This is what happens. But if you look at those same uh, words as nouns, they have a little bit different meaning. Mene is a numerical designation. It means a thousand garas. Gara was the base unit of monetary uh, of money back then, okay, like penny. Alright? If I have one penny, you know what that is. If I if I give you, you know, a quarter, all right, I give you a quarter. What is a quarter? Well a quarter is twenty five pennies. You understand that. So the mini is a thousand of those garas. The tekel is twenty garys. And the peres is half a mina, which is five hundred. So you have Mini, Mene, upharsin Ufarsin, or, and Peres. So you have what? One, two thousand, five hundred and twenty. Recognize that number? That's the same number from last week that Ezekiel and Daniel both used again to tell when Israel would be rededicated as a nation. So what does this prophecy tell us? We see that 2,520 Garas or periods of time that is called for within this prophecy, within the the extension of the prophecy. Not the prophecy as it relates to Belshazzar but as it relates to Israel in the future. Then we have what? A decree from Darius that is coming to control the Temple Mount. You see... Just like today, even back then, when uh, when uh, Daniel gave th- this prophecy to Belshazzar, all right, that night Belshazzar what he died because Cyrus was outside the gate waiting on him. Because why? That was the end of what the seventy year captivity. It was the end of it. And guess what? God said today's the day, Belshazzar, you did. You know, Daniel probably knew what was going on, but he's like, I'm not telling him that. But he told him what had been, you've been found in the balances, you've been numbered, and you're found wanting. So what is coming is a decree from Darius for the Jews to go back and control the Temple Mount. But as we we will find out later, they they go back and try to rebuild the Temple, but they what? They can't. Because what? The enemy is all around them. In other words, the political climate around Jerusalem will not allow them to rebuild the temple. They have to wait later for Nehemiah to come back and rebuild the walls. So, what this prophecy tells us is that Israel, for the second time, is going to gain control of the temple mount, yet not be able to rebuild the temple just yet. And it tells us that it will be 2,520 Jewish years from this decree that Darius made. And remember, the Jewish years are the prophetic calendar. In other words, the lunar calendar of the Jews, 360 days a year. So we take those, what, 360 days a year, and we multiply all our numbers together and everything, and we come out with what? 907,200. Same thing as we had before, but it's from a different decree. Well, I, say so. I mean, our God is an awesome God. You see, Israel was granted control of the Temple Mount, but they didn't control it just yet. And this prophecy is telling us when this is going to happen again. So this is what we do. The decree of Darius occurred on August twenty fifth, 518 B.C. That's when it was. History bears that. History will tell you, you know, plus or minus a year or two. But we know that it was 518 B.C. So if we take those 907,200 days, start from August the 25th, 518 B.C., what do we come to? June the 7th, 19 of 67. Once again, some of you youngsters may, unless you've paid real good attention in history class, I don't even know if they teach this in history anymore. But June the 7th, 1967, the event that happened was in the midst of what was called the Six-Day War. Israel was fighting with Jordan. They were being attacked from all sides. They were, you see, up until this time, Israel had been put back in their nation, but they did not have control. They only had control of half of Jerusalem, and they didn't control any of the Temple Mount. But on this day, the Six-Day War, they gained control of it. They walked in. Well, they walked in with the armies, what they did. They walked in and took control of the Temple Mount. Well, Good, now they can rebuild the temple. (laughs) No, they can't. You see, it's the same thing. It's the same climate as was back then. Because of the political climate around, guess what? They can't just walk in and start building the temple, can they? Because they will what? Start a war with all the Muslims over there. Start a war with everybody in Islam. So you see, God told us exactly when they were going to go back and take control of that temple mount. And one of these days, one of these days, construction's going to start. And they're going to rebuild the temple. But it is amazing. You see, prophecy is not something way off in the past. It is here. It is today. Even with us now. I would be remiss in not mentioning, not giving credit to Dr. Ken Johnson. He has a ministry called BibleFacts.org. I'm sorry, I'm sorry if, if you guys thought I was figuring all this stuff out by myself, okay? I, I apologize, but there's no way. I'm not even remotely smart enough to have figured all this stuff out. But he has a fantastic ministry, like I said, called Bible Facts. And he has a a website. I'll tell you all about it later on if you want to learn more about it, BibleFacts.org. But he does a fantastic ministry. Now you all know that I'm I'm quick to point out false teachers to you. I'll tell you about a false teacher in a minute. Uh, This is one of the few men that I recommend to you. Uh, He is a man of God. He is a man of God. And I'm thankful for his work and his research. But what we see through this, what do we see? The authority of God's Word Serves to embolden us, doesn't it? As believers, we get to live a more holy life. This in turn will also make us better witnesses of His glory to those around us. And on top of that, with such an abundant, abundant blessing of knowledge that has been given to us through His Word, is there any doubt that we will be held accountable? For our use of its wonders. That's what we mean. By judgment. The guarantee. Of prophecy. When we. Are made aware. When we gain knowledge. Of the prophetic. Word of the living God. We are responsible. We are responsible. You remember. I hate to use this as an example. But. When uh, Uncle Ben was lying, dying on the street, (laughs) you know what I'm going to say. Uncle Ben's lying dead on the street, and after Peter Parker has, you know, uh, mishandled his use of power, and when he's lying dead on the street, the last thing he tells Peter, with great power comes great responsibility. (laughs) little Spider-Man there for you. Uh, but uh, those words are true. We have been given great power through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, of his prophetic word. And I would hate to stand before my king knowing that I squandered that knowledge that has been given to me. And you see, the beautiful thing about this is that this will grow this. It's all about discipleship, guys. It's all about discipleship. About us growing one another. Us growing spiritually one another. That's what we're able to do through this right here. The precious word of the living God. That's what that allows us to do. To live a life. To live a life where we don't have to look back and say I wish I would have. Woulda, shoulda, coulda. No, we'll look back and say, Thank you, Lord, that I was able to bear witness of your precious word. Brother David, come with a verse of a song. And this is the invitation here this morning. This is the invitation to those who are hearing this word. The Lord and Savior has given you an opportunity to believe in Him in faith. The Lord and Savior has given you this time, this moment, to be able to trust in Him. You know, I, I don't. The Lord hadn't showed me that. I'm not, I can't look and see who's what or anything like The Lord knows the heart. The lo- Lord knows where you're at. But right now, if the Holy Spirit is dealing with your heart and your life, And you'll know that if He is. This is what the Holy Spirit is asking you to do. He's asking you to believe. He's convicting you of your sinful nature and asking you to believe on the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as the Scripture reveals Him to us. Remember 1 Corinthians 15? Believe that he died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he rose again according to the scriptures. That's what Holy Spirit is revealing to you and asking you to believe. If that's you here today, you've never done that before. Listen, today is the day. Like Brother David said a while ago, today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. If there's something you want to pray about here at these altars, these altars are open. They are here for you. People will meet you and pray for you here, pray with you here. But whatever the need is today, let's take care of that before we leave here today.